0: The Bite Goes On is up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.
1: Destination Eat Drink.
2: I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. And this week, we're in Canada for cedar tea, Saskatoon berries, and the best late night snack. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.
1: The following is a
0: presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Bike Goes On. This is Brian Casey with my good friend, Sondra Bernstein. We are still sheltering in place. So, Sandra, it looks like you're in the bar at the Girl in the Fig. I don't know if that's actually true.
1: <laughs> no, it's my virtual background.
0: Got a great virtual background. I miss that place terribly.
1: Me too. Me yeah. too. Yeah. Well, I'm excited today. An old friend, not old in age, but old in how long we've known each other. <laughs> uh, my friend Clark Wolf is on the show today. And I'm so excited for our listeners to. One, hear how you got started in food, because I think you are definitely um, a cornerstone person in how artisanal food got to restaurants, and I would say we can give you a lot of that credit, and then, you know, how you have kind of moved through the stream with your books and how your consulting work and your radio show and Just we want to tell everybody everything.
0: Well, starting with being a server on a train, right?
2: Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, hi. It's great to be here, by the way. Uh, Sandra, it's always wonderful to be with you. And Brian, thank you so much uh, for giving me the opportunity to take a minute out of this crazy world we're living in and talk about things that I love, things about which I'm passionate. I'm sitting in the bonus room, which is my office. Okay. Uh, uh, (laughs) Cabin in the Redwoods. (laughs) <laughs> that was built my bedroom which is right that way to, to my right uh, was built as a logger's cabin in 1906 wow. and you know there, there, there's 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 a metaphorical and practical application uh, those guys knew what to do they built it into the bedrock of the mountain and you know um, we had a tree come down a few years ago in the flooding times and it took out it took a house in half
1: your sure. house in half. no no so Another, somebody else my, is- my little
2: road that's not gonna happen here because a logger knows how to look at the hill and look at the uh, uh, you know uh, it's just amazing where i'm constantly inspired by uh food makers farmers uh loggers naturalists anybody who deals with the real life of nature
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, uh is able to um marshal that wisdom, that knowledge, leaning into nature, it's so important. And, you know, this is not the first time uh, the peoples of the world have faced a pandemic. You right. know, wh- wh- uh, plagues and pestilence and all the rest of that stuff. We've just been in this wonderful little moment where it seemed like we could do whatever we wanted and it was just going to get better and better and better and better. And then yeah. uh, Mother Nature, I, who I consider to be a large black lesbian, uh, uh <laughs> <clears throat> rightfully smacked us up our head, uh, uh, upside the, the head and said, you know, sit down, honey, calm the frick down. I try not to use words that were coined by David Chang because they're useless. You know what kind of hour it's going to be when I'm going to tell you that with David Chang announcing that he's going to open bad chicken, place, chicken sandwich places all over the world, it just sums up the end of the last era, which is too much that's crap. This whole discussion about, uh, I I just want to go right into the discussion of meat processing. Why would you ever want to eat that meat if you can help not eating that meat? I'm not a vegan. I love vegetables. Uh, We need lots of local, um, thoughtful meat processors all over the country, not just a bunch of people, some of whom are owned by companies in China that don't care about us, uh, and, and owned by people who only want to exploit their work. Don't get me started. We're in the middle of a major, major reset. And um, back to what Brian, what you were saying before, I started, well, after I, I got myself through college, at, I ended up at San Francisco State University. It took me six years to get a four year degree that I paid for myself by working any way I could. Then I got a job as a waiter on the railroad between Oakland and Chicago. Oh everything. my God, <laughs> <laughs> that is everything.
1: fabulous.
2: <laughs> and the truth is, everything else has been easier. Uh, you know, <laughs> that was, you know, this is, you know, try to be a waiter. Serving six hundred people in forty-eight seats, in under two hours at ninety miles an hour.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I I, wor- I used to work for Hornblower Dining Yachts, and I remember one of the most challenging things was Sunday brunch, trying to actually pour champagne into someone's glass that they were holding while you're out on the San Francisco Bay, rocking up and down. Now, when I pour champagne at tables, I'm a Psalm at the Fairmont in Sonoma, right? And 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 people just they're they're amazed at how still my hand is when I'm pouring. And I said, this is the easiest thing I've ever done. Right? (laughs) Working on a yacht.
2: (laughs) There's a trick to it. And I learned this on the train. And that is you keep your two hands rigid and you let your body move. There you go. Interestingly, the wine does get into the glass. It's a miracle. (laughs) You know, I got some good tips, but, but then I got back to uh, San Francisco and I ended up, um, Seeing a sign in a window, what a concept, right? I had a roommate who was very attractive but not working. Mm -hmm. And I said, go get that job. And the return message was, that is the job for you. It was to open a cheese and wine shop at the base of Knob Hill in 1976 for a company that went chapter 11 in the second week of my employment. I had $200 and 32 cheeses, this place on California between Larkin and Polk. <clears throat> Excuse me. And their other place in wow. San Mateo that I basically went to on the train twice a week to steal product. <laughs> you know, take boxes of crackers back on the train to keep going. I learned what a business does and does not need in my body. And Sandra, I know you know that.
0: Yeah. Now, at that, at that time, was it mostly French and Spanish cheese? I don't imagine there was a lot of local cheeses being made.
2: Well, you know, it, what's interesting is that there were American cheeses. Um, I would find a Wisconsin cheddar that had been lost in a warehouse for four years and had some flavor. I had <laughs> uh, a Vela dry Jack. <clears throat> you okay. know, I had Franklin, uh, 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 Beluso's Telemay in an 11 pound square with rice flour on it. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, but <clears throat> that was about it. And then the rest of it was, Imitation uh, good cheese from places in Wisconsin, you know, mm-hmm. I- I- imitation. Box. But I had 350 cheeses that I lugged out of, from the walk-in every single day. Many wow. of them went onto the counter and displayed. I had to make displays out of packing boxes and leftovers I had to do things in the window that would get attention in the San Francisco Chronicle because we had zero dollars. I learned not to give the uh, combination to the safe to an attractive coworker <laughs> who was likely to steal all the money over the weekend and disappear. You know what I mean? All those things that we learned. <clears throat> One day, three guys out of a Hollywood movie, Mafia came in and demanded money for cheese. I mean, a, a tall, skinny guy, you know, a a, a a big bruiser and some small little we- we- Weasley guy, you know, yeah, you guys are. So I said, uh, I don't know where I got this from, but maybe it was working on the train where everything else was really dangerous. I said, you know, first of all, you sent the wrong cheese to the wrong store. <clears throat> I said, number one. And they're looking at me like, this, ki- this kid's crazy. We're gonna kill him. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't he want his knees? I said. And second thing is, we're in chapter eleven, and the guy from the court is going to be here in about twenty minutes. Do you want to talk to him? And they ran out of there, <laughs> they like like Bugs Bunny cartoons. Oh my
1: god. <laughs> I know. It's so funny, all the stories that we have and, you know, like things like what words and stories bring up other memories. It's pretty incredible. I mean, when I think of you, Clark, a lot of time, it is with a huge bowl of tangerines or clementines.
2: Yeah, that's very funny. Uh, uh, You know, I I like big bowls of good fruit. You know, that's just how, how that is. And I was very lucky I got pulled out of that little cheese shop to be the cheese guy at what became the Oakville Grocery in San Francisco in 1979 and 80. And I was surrounded surrounded by people because Joseph Phelps owned the Oakville Grocery as well as Joseph Phelps Vineyards, as well as Hensel Phelps Construction from Colorado back in the 70s when billions of dollars were, you know when a a billion dollars was a lot of money, ha ha. Mm So he wanted to get all the best people in the world to taste all these things, to do this kind of ultimate uh, larder, this, you know, cook's paradise. And the people in those rooms at Phelps Vineyards with whom I was getting to taste things, I was the kid, you know, with the cheese guy. uh, Marion Cunningham, Julia Child, Jeremiah Tower, Alice Waters, Ruth Reichel. James Beard. I mean, it was nuts. Now, and Beard is interesting because um, when I was doing my little cheese shop, one day the door darkened and there was the man in a 900-pound black leather trench coat and, <laughs> and, you know, at the door of my cheese shop announcing, my doctor says I should never even walk into a place like that. Do you have any emmentaler or some <laughs> Morbier or some Senectaire? Not that I remember exactly what he said.
1: Right. What was the name of your cheese shop?
2: The first one. Um are, are you sitting down? Yeah. It was called The Cheese Shop.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <It's> perfect. <laughs> it, yeah, it was, it was a franchise thing out of Greenwich, Connecticut that at one p- time had over 100. And it was a really actually wonderful thing. It was... Cracker Barrel uh, by people who weren't crackers. It uh, uh, was—they gave you a construct, they gave you lists, they gave you methodologies, they gave you training, they gave you display uh, uh, examples, they gave you those little pretzels with bad cheese food inside of them (laughs) that you backed up. (laughs) You know, the the when, when I this the second week I was working, I was going to the San Mateo store to to train before we opened the San Francisco store. And, and by the way, I have to tell you, that store on California Street, I ran it for two and a half years. And then I, the, the niece or the daughter or something of the guy who founded it bought it after she was a buyer at Macy's. It was a, it was a food store for more than 20 years and then oh. became an antique store and then went back to being kind of a food, English food store. It just recently emptied out in yeah. all this craziness in real estate mm-hmm. in San Francisco. But I mean, for you know, like for 35 years, yeah. the, the impact of food in a, in a neighborhood, in a community is so huge. So anyway, I'm in San Mateo, mm-hmm. and we had a thing called um, uh, a cheese log. You've heard of those, you've probably made nice ones. <laughs> this was made when you took a block, a 40 pound block of, of cheddar cheese food. The, the term should have quotes all over every letter, right? Yeah. Because it was, this, it was this hulking mass of orange nausea. And you would form it into a, a, a log and then you would roll it into really perfectly good crushed pistachios that came out of a big can from Bazzini in New York, yeah? And you'd have a cheddar cheese log. And this, <laughs> this woman walks into the San Mateo store with this big bouffant hairdo and a fluffy sweater and stretchy pants with stirrups. You remember those? I, I could never wear them, but I do remember. Well, you try, I try to forget them, right? <laughs> right. And, and this woman uh, orders a Chetty cheese log and a container of really awful red caviar and cream cheese spread. And I said to the kid next to me, oh, my God, this woman has got to stop going to Catherine Hurst's hairdresser. Now, mind you, Catherine Hurst was the mother of Patty Hurst, who had been kidnapped by the SLA. It was in all the newspapers. This is the Hurst family that once on the San Francisco, I mean, the, uh, the Examiner and all these newspapers. So this was a very well-known, fancy name. And she wrote on her check to buy this stuff and handed it to me, and it was indeed Catherine Hurst. Oh, God. So my, it was my first lesson in, in learning that people with money don't necessarily have any taste at all. Right. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Well i mean you you do
1: know everybody in food i mean for years and years
2: well i have to say you know uh, first of all the good news is that there are so many more people in food now it was a very small community at one time and it was fun. And I, you know, so I, I, I did the Oakville grocery. I got to help bring arugula to California and mozzarella making back to California fresh and all those wonderful things. You know, I got to meet. Uh, um, and Laura Chanel. <laughs> Laura Chanel was, well, we, we introduced yes. her. We We're the second, but we were really promoted and I brought her to New York. In New York, I was, I was brought to New York by Barbara Kafka, who was the food editor of Vogue, and we did a, an American food store called Star Spangled Foods, just wow. to rest <laughs> <in peace. laughs> May she rest in peace. But I said, I want to do a, a, a press event for Laura Chanel. This cheese is so amazing, and she's so amazing. So I was allowed to do it on a Friday afternoon in New York City in August, and it rained. Aww. So you know, can you think of the worst thing, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Eight people all right here's the story um one of those people was a woman called suzanne hamlin who was writing for the daily news she wrote a wonderful story that was in 350 newspapers all over america wow you know quantity not quality i mean quality not quantity
1: yeah right
2: i don't care how many insta you have it's what you're talking about what you're sharing yeah you know so that that um a period of time really allowed me to learn so much from so many people. I got to open and run the Oak Hill Grocery in San Francisco for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I knew about thousands of products, and I got to learn from people who knew way. I learned how to learn about food. I learned how to learn from learning about food. And mm-hmm. I learned that it's always good to be surrounded by people, older, younger, same age, whatever, who know more about anything than you right. do. And I've always, I've always tried to do that. So there are now more of them. I mean, the short story uh, is that I went to um, uh, New York. I worked for Barbara Kopka for a year. I then started doing tastings and seminars all over the country because I knew about ingredients, and the French and the Spanish and the English liked having somebody who knew stuff to teach to chefs and at culinary schools. And I would teach, right. I would teach culinary teachers because they'd never seen a wild mushroom fresh. They didn't mm-hmm. know. And, and you know, I, I think it was probably in the last two years, it became more common knowledge that that mushroom that we talk about is the mushroom fruit. The mycelium is under the earth. I mean, like we need to know. So um, I did that for a number of years. I started consulting, blah, blah, blah. And then in 1996, I was at a book party for Marion Burroughs, who I met at the Oakville Grocery, the legendary journalist from the New York Times, who I spoke to yesterday, who's 87 years old and still, you know, um, she's forgetting more than we'll ever know. Okay. Uh, You know, she's amazing. But so... um, I was at a book party for her on the Upper East Side, and I re-met a woman called Marian Nestle, uh, one of the leading microbiologists in the world, dietary- uh, So uh, smart, so smart. So, so excessively smart, right? Mm-hmm. She's written food politics, she's written what to eat, she's written just so many important books, and she asked me to help her food up at the nutrition department. And at the end of our walk, um, followed by a couple of years of working, we, start, we formulated and launched the country's first ever food studies program in 1996.
1: Yeah. And
2: there are now food studies programs all over the world. You get a, a BS, a master's, or a PhD in the study of food, which includes history, culture, sensory evaluation, biology, chemistry, international politics, economics, everything. Uh, it's a liberal arts and sciences uh, 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 academic discipline. And, you know, when you think about it, having had the privilege of helping with that, uh, whenever I feel like I'm not doing anything worthwhile, I, I can kind of calm down and say, hey, you know, I, at least I've been a little bit helpful in a way that, uh, that moves my heart. And that keeps going and going and going. Oh, my gosh. There are, so all that to say, there are so many more food people. There was a time I, 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 in the early 1980s, Christopher Kimball of then Cook's Magazine, um, wanted to do something called the who's who of cooking in America. And he proclaimed the top 50 people, including Julia Child and James Beard and Craig Claiborne of the New York Times and mm-hmm. Marcella Hassan, the Italian cookbook author and all that, <clears throat> you, you know, to establish that we had uh, a, a team of brilliant people in this country who really knew about food. And I was asked to help pick the five food makers, mm-hmm. Laura Chanel, Czar Nikolai Caviar, D'Artagnan, Jamie Nicholson who raised amazing lamb Mm -hmm. and a guy called Jeff Hivid who was a forager. Mm -hmm. I mean this, you know, we, even then we knew. So the first year we all met at this very cramped Susan B. uh, Susan B. Anthony Hall on the Upper East Side of Manhattan and they, all these amazing people were there and there was no room to, you know, you could barely even say hi. It was so, so I went up to, to Chris afterwards and I said, great idea, lousy party. And now you told me I can, I can curse on this, right? Yeah, go for it. Chris, Chris said to me, fuck you, you do it. <laughs> so for the next five years, I helped them gather the next year's uh, award winners, and, wow. I helped, and I helped them gather the party. So what we did was we got the great food makers and chefs to bring food wherever we were, and we did a very quick uh, uh, award sem- ceremony at about five, and then had a party because that's what we wanted. We wanted exactly. to be in a room with these people. So it was at the Natural, National Arts Club on mm-hmm. uh, um, Gramercy Park. It was twice at Lincoln Center. <clears throat> wow. You know, they thought we were crazy, right? And 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 once at the Palladium nightclub. <laughs> nice. Oh, my God. So the point is that, yeah, I certainly got to know a lot of these people and, and over time. But there are so many more people. And I'm glad. I've gotten at the New York uh, – uh, at New York University, at the library, where there is the Marion Nessel Food Studies Collection at the most, at the Fales Rare Books and Collections Division. Uh, I encourage you to go to nyu.edu and look for food or t- food TV. We have done a series called Critical Topics in Food, anywhere from two to five times a year, uh, not obviously recently, um, where I will host a panel for 40 or 50 minutes of people much smarter than I am, just barely you know, um, articulating some topic that really needs to be looked at from many different perspectives that make you want to go out and write a book, get a PhD, change your career, change your life. <clears throat> and it has had that effect where people writing a book will, will come and say, I just had to be part of this conversation. It's been very gratifying. And people all over the world can still log in and watch those um, mm-hmm. at any time. Uh, a, a three years ago, they tracked 180,000 hits. And that was before... Wow. Insta. right
1: i have been um doing oh man i'm not going to remember but it's there it's online a food class and oh my god i'm blanking i have to look it up and blank it's um it's i'm gonna i'll come back to it i'm gonna look it up
2: All right. But but, but what what does it do for you?
1: It is just to learn. Oh my God. I'm just like learning about different food things that I wouldn't take the time to do. And it's an actual class where people getting credit for it. And I'm just like going, okay, I want to learn about this stuff. And they're fabulous. Um,
2: Well, you know, one of the things that I discovered, uh, um, the guy who was running the J- the JC foods uh, program here in Santa Rosa junior college, the culinary program at uh, the junior college in Santa Rosa. Um, when, before they moved to the new facility, they had a, a an infestation of vermin and they had to close. <laughs> so um, he, he assigned his kids to watch three of our panels and write a paper. You know, the, the notion of virtual learning, especially when we have a time amazing. like this, you know, we have opportunities. I, I, I haven't, You know, I haven't, I've been on my own. I've been, I've been single for about a decade for the first time in my life. I was a serial monogamist. Um, And yeah, yeah, he's down the road in his, yeah, (laughs) um, but he's still my business partner. We spoke just a little while ago. We're working on projects, which I do want to talk about, but um, you know, I haven't done a lot of cooking because the part of cooking I love, I'm a very simple cook. I mean, I've been a partner to chefs on every level. And I, I believe in that collaboration. I believe in the collaboration of all things food. But I love shopping. I'm, I'm a grocer. I would rather set up a, a, a market than anything. Uh, Selling a piece of cheese. I used to be able to hit the digital number on the nose. You know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But, <clears throat> but I've been uh, so I've been uh, uh, re-examining or, or revisiting because I need to. I need to cook. i you know, I'm not going to do a lot of takeout stuff. And we have such great food here in Sonoma County. I realize I love the shopping. I love talking to the farmers. Mm-hmm. I'm a very messy. I am the opposite of a baker. I am the least meditative cook you've ever seen. <laughs> I make a mess all over. You know, I love to use every single knife and, 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 and pan. Uh, I don't necessarily like to clean up immediately. And then I like to share it. I like to serve it. Right. Right. Oh, I, I'm a restaurant consultant for a reason. I like right. the nuance of all, but, n- but not slavishly. So, but I, I have, you know, there, there are always blessings. There are always blessings. This is not the first time humanity has been through something like that. And um, last fall, I broke my ankle in Los Angeles at a, at a vintage hotel with a marble staircase that shouldn't be there. Yeah. And I uh, got a masterclass in mindful living. <laughs> right? In, 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 no choice. No choice. It, I learned to stay calm and ask for help. And in this time, you know, it's given me a chance to... Consider things, you know. I, I'm still working on things. Thank God, to some degree. I'm working on a a, a cafe at the uh, art museum that that is going to be completely a new build art museum at Princeton University.
1: Oh, god I'm working.
2: I'm working with the old AT and T building on Madison Avenue between 55th and 56th on their amenities floor in a ground floor restaurant. And I'm how working...
1: often are you in New York now?
2: <laughs> now, zip well, up. Not, not now, but before shelter in place. Oh, I was always back and forth, always constantly back and forth, for 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 now twenty years. And
1: you have a place there.
2: I have an apartment. I I share an apartment in New York City on Forty Second Street in the middle of Hell's Kitchen. Wow, uh, which is why I got out of there as soon as I could. I was doing a lot of stuff for. Yeah, I was doing a lot of stuff for Hilton, which obviously stopped when they closed all the hotels. I was everything from the Waldorf Astoria collection you know, the Grand Wailea, all the way to double... Uh, double
1: the Grand Wailea, Brian.
2: Oh, it's so wonderful.
0: Are we talking about the one on Maui? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I work for the Fairmont, so I'm allowed to go stay at the Keolani um, for, a, for a really good price, but I have an 11-year-old daughter that will refuse to let us stay anywhere but the Grand Wailea.
2: Yeah, well, I probably saw her friends because this 3,000 square foot market because of what it used to be and where it is placed on the property has to be open air on Maui, a food store. Wow. They, can't, they can't have chocolate because it melts.
1: Right, right. Chocolate
2: is the number one seller in specialty foods markets. They can't have, so we found them an, uh, a coconut oil-based chocolate bar that has to be refrigerated anyway. Right. You know what I mean? And uh, the July after I was there, they did $50,000 over budget that month wow we were, were going towards doing five million dollars in this little you know takeout market right i mean and one of the things we did was they had a, a little bike with the pineapples on the back
1: mm-hmm. you know how
2: they have all over maui all over hawaii where you could buy a fresh pineapple and they would cut it up for you and then you could so the the point is that i i love all of it i love sweeping the floor you know, um, I love working with major companies who have to understand how to have a multi-million dollar And, and this new construct <clears throat> is, um, well, first of all, some of it was going to happen anyway, whether or not there was a pandemic. There right. were too many restaurants. I, I have to say it out loud. Uh, there, there, was, there were too many impediments. Uh, the model has, has broken. If you don't have immigrants for whom hard work at a modest pay is an upgrade for where they were living before. On their way to something else, you're in trouble, and that's been our problem. Where you know we're in a situation where we've this country has always grown from immigration, and right. when that started being a problem because of these idiots in Washington, um, that was the first piece. Then you know uh, after the recession of eight, nine, ten there were more restaurants opened up in New York than in a decade before or more than that, because people thought, well, I don't know what's going to happen in the stock market, but at least if I invest in a restaurant, I have something I can see and I'll, there'll be, ca- <laughs> oops, yeah. oops. And everybody thinks, Sandra, I know you know this. Everybody, well, actually uh, Brian, I know you know this too. Everybody yeah. thinks that because they eat in restaurants and drink fine wine, they know about restaurants and they know about right. wine. That is just so the opposite of reality. I yeah. remember. Working with How them.
1: about Clark? Did you read? You must have Gabrielle's article in the Times.
2: You know um,
1: about Prune.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, let me just say I can't always read what she writes because it's too upsetting.
1: Yeah, I cried.
2: Well, that was one of the most brilliantly written pieces, and 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 absolutely true. That it, it does it does reveal a lot. It does reveal what is at the some of the basis of certain kinds of restaurants is this kind of total labor of love with the emphasis on labor that it, right. you know, there was a, a woman called Judith Jones, a very famous cookbook editor who was all about, she was a Yankee and she was all about, and I don't mean the baseball team. <coughs> she, was, <laughs> she was, she didn't trust anything that wasn't achieved rigorously through rigorous effort. And Gabrielle is one of those people where she can't really feel anything, but she also knows that if you really want to make great food, and really want to do a brilliant restaurant, it's extremely hard work. Yeah. Not, yeah, it's not I always mean, difficult, but it's hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it really amazed me, like, looking at that article where someone that had been very successful um, in her world, in her right, in business, her business, but had no money had no money, ended this with no money and couldn't figure it out. And that's a really scary thing because we all just go on, you know, like everything is okay. And, you know, when some, when the floor drops, you're like, Oh shit, you know, now what, now what do you do?
2: Well, you know, after, uh, um, after the, uh, many difficulties of the first world war, and the Spanish Flu, and the Second World War, you know, um, not to mention the Depression.
1: Well, we're um, all depressed right now.
2: There you go. <laughs> People, we we figured it out. We figured it out. Restaurants will always exist. They're going to change. They're going to evolve. The, the shifts are going to be dramatic, and some of them permanent, and some of them not. But do you remember when, when restaurateurs all over the world, much less especially America, said, if we can't have smoking in our restaurants, we'll go out of business.
1: Right. That didn't happen. What are some of the things that you think that restaurants should be thinking about um, moving forward? Because the government really hasn't given um, as much direction as people really need to figure it out. Um, We're getting little bits and pieces of it they go from some people being able to designate their own safety precautions and, you know, they're going to be a good person, good business person. Then you have areas that are going rogue and, you know, throwing everything out the window and just doing it. And, you know, we're a little bit paralyzed in where we're going with all of this.
2: Well, first of all, let's remember that governments are not designed to be entrepreneurial. Right. In, in fact, uh, that's, I believe that's, that we refer to that as corruption. And that's one of the problems we have right now is that we have a corrupt uh, uh, administration, not a corrupt government, folks, a corrupt right. administration, just a bad person at the top and a lot of bad people around them. So but forgetting that <clears throat> restaurateurs in particular, food people of all kinds mm-hmm. have got to be what they've always been, which is diversified. You know, it's not a new thing for a small farm to. Um, also make cheese and to also have a part-time job in town and to also you know what I mean that's why they call them farm families you have to do a lot of stuff you've always done that Sandra you've always said <clears throat> I can't just have and in one restaurant people think and and they see a lot of little businesses and that's true the bar is a business the dining room is a business the patio is a business the catering is a business the private dining is a business a closeout is a business takeout is a business retail. But we have to go a lot well, yeah. re, well retail yeah takeout retail we have to go a lot further Dan Barber just did a very interesting interview where he said, and I don't like, I, I, I love Dan. He's a very articulate, very smart guy. Sometimes he uses words like he, uh, like he needs a thesaurus. Bless him. <laughs> <coughs> well, because I think sometimes he's trying to be more practical than his lofty mind lets him be.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: in, in fact, um, and he's trying, to, he's trying to be grounded, I think. But he said, you know, we have to become processors. Um, Dan, we have to be, restaurateurs have to become food makers, and you already are. Processing, uh, ju- just like consumer, is a statistical uh, a term that we have to be very careful about because it's used to distance us. Restaurants have always been processors. What is, what is cooking? It's the transformation of ingredients to edible food. That's right. processing. Right. So, and, and is it new that restaurants make their own jam or make their own pickles or cure their own hams or make their own cheese? No. We just have to do, you have to do more of it. Farmers have to do more of it. You have to be in collaboration with other people. You have to make stuff that, <clears throat> one of the reasons I love cheese as a learning ground, and I go back to it from time to time, is that it's a very, it's one of the most stable perishables ever, right? It's this wonderful food that starts as something fresh, gets, um, gets beat up against nature, it gets started, it gets curdled, you know, is aged, blah, 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 depending on how it's done. And it can end up being very old in many different forms. And then when it becomes a complete cheese, can be taken even further and into what we call cookery. So it's a great example of how food might work. I mean, uh, I, I've been getting a farm, ba- a farm bag. <clears throat> I love Backyard Restaurant in Forestville. It's one of my favorite places on earth. It's a Michelin bib gourmand.
1: Yeah, he's awesome.
2: Well. Let he's me tell awesome. you. I'll, t- I'll tell you what the model is. He's teaching at the Kilner Institute of America in St. Helena now virtually, but he's been doing it for uh, months because that's a way to get a paycheck and right. to have income coming in no matter what in his little restaurant in the middle. Of wow. Do you have to have a
1: special degree to do that?
2: No, you have to have a special ability.
1: I have an ability. I want to I be know a you teacher do. to the little kids. I mean, well,
2: he's no, <clears throat> no, no. He's actually the killer. He was the culinary instructor for the restaurant.
1: That is amazing.
2: And those kids. And I went to that. By the way, I went to that restaurant uh, at at. at uh, oh, I call it Greystoke. Right. <laughs> Tar- Tarzan's homeland. Do you, right?
1: know, do you know Dustin Rogie? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he used to manage at the Girl in the Fig, but he's been at Culinary Institute for years and years in that department.
2: Well, uh, so they have a 38, 40-seat restaurant uh, right at the front of the property, mm-hmm. and you have to make a reservation, and I came, and they couldn't have been nicer. Sandra, um, let me just say, I had a lot of things on the fixed-price menu that I would not these days ordinarily order in Sonoma and Napa. I Uh, like much more direct farmy things because the food here is so good. Don't mess it up. Right.
1: Exactly. But
2: but I have to tell you, every mouthful was delicious Oh. because the guy knows how to make delicious food. Right. So anyway, backyard and, uh, and they have a a thing now where you order between 11 and three on Monday for a pickup that you have to go get on the following Saturday so that he can teach class, do prep. He and his wife, Mariana do some cooking on, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You pick it up and you can, to that, add a farm bag that is produced from his garden and the farm, little farm garden that they have at Davis Vineyards, uh, along with uh, Dusky and John's uh, and, um, Black pig, meat, bacon, yep. along with a, a dozen eggs from the lady down the road, along with some locally roasted coffee, you know, you can get, mm-hmm. so I get this farm bag, and you know, I'm one person. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of roughage. Yeah. yeah, right?
1: How much so, was the farm bag?
2: $24.
1: $24. My farm bag this week is it was $51 and it's I'm getting two dozen eggs with it, the most beautiful eggs, but it's pricey. Yeah. It's pricey and some of it I can't well,
2: even use. Well, I so what I did was I took the kale which I will never eat and right. put it in and put it in a vase. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw that on your
1: Instagram. It looked like you had. Uh, I love
0: like
2: it. That's and awesome. I and I called it floral. But one of the things I keep seeing seeing on Instagram and Facebook is people doing what I get what we did as a kid, where you take the, you know, a scallion and you put it in a glass of water and it keeps growing and you cut off and it keeps growing and you know. So I put the I took the fennel bulb off, and I put the fennel stalks. Uh, I never know what to do with them. If you if you're not grilling lamb over them, right. what's the point, oh, yeah. right? But maybe I will. And and. Um, <clears throat> Then I, I, I took the kale. Uh, last week, it was curly tight. This week, it's the bigger and flatter, but I'm not massaging kale. I don't care how, lo- uh, how alone I am. <laughs> if there's massaging to be done, that's not it. <laughs> but, but I tell you, I found a handful of sugar snap peas in the bottom. The, the, the daikon and, and the red radishes are incredible. Mm-hmm. I have a, a stack of, of, of fava that I'm going to um, struggle through yeah. Uh, to, to, to peel and it, you know what I mean, do something. I had a, a three little baby new potatoes from two weeks ago. So I'm only doing it every other week. Right. And they were in a drawer that I kept quite, you know, right. And I boiled them a little bit too much and then emptied the water and threw in some California olive oil and sliced in some garlic and some kosher salt and mushed them around. And I had a bowl of god a bowl of, yeah, perfect, perfect. of gold, a bowl of clouds <laughs> yeah you know you know so i i mean i'm pan roasting asparagus in the oven with just olive oil and and a little salt on serving mm-hmm. you know i'm not even any lemon they don't need it because they're so you know right and i found a little baggie of uh chard kind of small that i had lost from the previous week you know it was two weeks old Right? Fresher than anything you could buy at a grocery store. Yeah. Right? Fresher. Yeah. And I just, I, I sauteed it up, right? And added um, some shiitake mushrooms. No, mm. not shiitake, she, they gave me some mushrooms. They always throw in like one or two nice size meaty mushrooms. It really mm. adds value. Cool. Very, Yeah, very smart.
1: Yeah. And,
2: and I did that with, you know, again, with a little bit of garlic. And um, I can't remember what the hell I did with it. Oh, I put it into It, it all sounds good. I put it into pasta with uh, some organic tomato sauce out of a jar. Right, I, I admit full for you know, and the jar, oh, the food was so yeah, I so I think part of what's gonna happen is so you should write your own Yelp reviews. Well, I'm, I'm going to Clark Clark. I, I would write reviews, but never for that scumbag company called Yelp. Never, never, never. I, I, I'm being never, very
1: sarcastic. Ne, you know. Never
2: for Grubhub. Never for Seamless. Guys, these are thieves. Uh, this is the moment where we have to acknowledge that people who say they are disruptors just means that they're highway robbers. They, right. should, they should be drummed out of business. Yes, we should have delivery, but you know what we used to do, what they used to do in New York? Sandra, you got, in fact, Brian, you guys in in Sonoma, the town, ought to think about this. They used to have block associations where all the restaurants on a block shared dishwashers and busboys. Wow! And they would, at certain hours, you know, just all get on the phone. I got three deliveries. I got three, you know. And they would share employees so the guys and look, if you're a dishwasher going down the street on a bicycle to deliver something, it's kind of a nice break. Right. 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 So, I mean, there have to be. Uh, um, other ways in france and here's cheese again when they make a cheese all the milk comes from a a cooperative collection of dairies Mm -hmm. the cooperative owns a piece of the paper mill that wraps them and the trucking company that delivers them and it's not monopoly it's just one cheese uh, you know cooperative but but it's it's a way to, to we have to eliminate some of the middle Groups that have been stealing money. Technology has got to be a tool, you know, not not a a thief. Right. And so I think I think there's going to be an evolution towards those things. Now, I for the first time in my life ever, I'm I think I agreed with uh, Gordon Ramsay, who I think is an idiot. I don't care how good (laughs) I don't care how good a cook it it, he is. You know, just as I, I feel that Joe Bastiana should be laughed out of the industry because you don't get three stars and Michelin stars and all that and then write a book where you insult everyone who's ever lived. That, right. To me, that's bad hospitality. Shut right. up. Go, go fix cars. Yeah. You know, leave so, me alone. Right? Don't it don't turns out, me. right, they're all scumbags. But he said, people, you know, Tom Colecchio said something about um, up to 75% of restaurants may not, re- may not reopen, right? And I said first, or, or may, may close. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, the reality is that 100% of the restaurants are closed. The question is, how are they going to be reborn? Right. And what somebody else said that I was reading today, which I feel good about, it's right, is that th- these, these are going to be new restaurants. You're going to have the, the, the knowledge. You're going to have some goodwill. Look, in France, when they sell a restaurant, they maybe close and fix the bathroom wall. They maybe you know, uh, add a piece of equipment. They sometimes, very often, keep the name. They just announce the new chef. Right. You know, and the new owner. Uh, maybe we'll get into the next level where we stop wasting in this country, where we where we take what's there and repurpose it and improve it and take it over. So I think that there's going to be a lot of rebirth. I think that restaurant collections, which I like very much, because um, I think you need to do that. You know, somebody may have ten restaurants; they're going to start out with three.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I think
2: that some uh, will be turnkey for new people. Who want to get into the business and maybe instead of let's say you have five places and maybe you really can't do more than three of them but somebody comes in and takes over one of them with their own new money and you give them guidance yeah. right uh, and history and support so because going into the restaurant business cold which people do is just and sometimes they succeed yeah you know it, again we're not in a moment to waste so well, i think well, it's good. Very innovative, and I think it's going to be that retail is going to be another big part of it. Obviously, takeaway, but you know they were doing takeaway in the Spanish flu um, in 1918 and 19. So okay. it's it's we're yeah. you know we're we I mean, want- it's
1: not new. Um, nope. It's just the focus right now.
0: But how do you feel about the future of fine dining? I mean, even with someone like uh, um, Tracy closing Jardiner and focusing more on street food. Um, th- Social distancing, the whole act of fine dining seems to be, um, it's going to be disrupted, at least for the short term.
2: Well, look, Brian, I mean, again, I understand, you know, as a sommelier, you know that there's a lot that goes into it. Once it's in a bottle, it's a thing. You can learn most of about an entire vintage all over the world, it's a finite amount of information even though it's an enormous amount and it takes a great deal of skill and knowledge and understanding. But culture is not like that. Culture isn't finite. Um, And and a lot of the elements of fine dining have been inappropriate for years, for years. And little by little, as more and more expansion happened, uh, for example, a place like 11 Madison uh, Park, which he says is, well, is now feeding uh, hungry uh, homeless people and 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 people in need all over New York City. He says now may never reopen as a fancy restaurant. Um, he got four stars in the New York Times and three stars Michelin, and changed the entire concept the next day because he knows that the 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 audience for that level has gotten smaller and smaller and international. Even while we've had more and more people learning about cooking and wanting to do all those things. Mm-hmm. there have been too many restaurants it's been too ridiculous there has been a a flight from the real value of food to this kind of it, it you know there is some artistry but it's craft my friend it is craft and anybody who says otherwise uh, is uh reading their own press and 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 frankly eating art is not really very tasty I mean I you know I used to say that I don't want interesting food I want delicious food interesting food is like a blind date with a good personality, <laughs> right? You know. So I, th- I think there's been too much fuss and I think a lot of it was vestigial and also at the top of an economics um, cycle, which is what we were at. Yeah. In design and in food expression, all that's left is weird and ugly because everything's been done. So what we're doing is, and what we were all already starting to do is we were circling back to things that are more important French country cooking and, and even French city cooking, but mostly even in the French cities, they were doing country cooking ha, was already getting and making a comeback. New York has you know, been lousy with brasseries and bistros the last couple of years because we want something real and solid. And then as we have been more open about cuisines from other parts of the world, we want foods from India. We want foods from the middle East and we are valuing their basic foods, not their tarted up. What I used to refer to, um, I used to refer to it as white guy cuisine. You know, some white male chef would go into a, a ghetto and come back with a cuisine, right? We don't do that anymore. We now actually celebrate the people. And if somebody comes from a family from uh, a, a region of Mexico and decides to do Mexican-inspired cooking with some innovations of their own, we we can embrace that. There is so much that's good to eat that doesn't require, you know, three captains, nine waiters. Um, uh, and, and, and a bib
0: <laughs> yeah I actually made an uh, oxtail stew the other day got some wow. well you, you, Sandra you said you've been learning on um, you've been taking classes online I've been watching YouTube so oh, I've, been yeah. learning, I've been learning about how to store my vegetables and fruits so that they last longer because you have that, to
1: watch Jerry James are you watching him
0: oh you know what yes, no I haven't looked him up in a while
1: so many. he's doing a ton right. every day
0: when I finally got out that Instapot that I had gotten for Christmas and started oh playing around with that thing as well. No, no, no cheesecake or bread yet. I'm just sticking <laughs> to no, no, normal, like, you know, pressurized cooking things.
2: We are all becoming homemakers. I mean, Fannie Farmer yeah. lives on, you know, the, the, we, we've lost so many of these skills. I think uh, that millenniums are going to discover as I did that macaroni and cheese is a good thing, you know, in, in college, I yeah. lived on it, uh, be- yeah. you know, right. Um, all those things are good, and they're, they're, they're basic life skills that we need to have. Mm-hmm. And you know what's
0: been really nice, though, is, you know, it used to be that cooking, sometimes you had to rush through things, and you, you took shortcuts or you did things that you knew wouldn't take very long. Now you're sort of, you have that time to, oh, let's cut the vegetables in a way that I've seen this French chef do, <laughs> just mm-hmm. for fun, or, mm-hmm. you know, let's get into a more elaborate recipe, because what else do I have to do?
2: Well, I, 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 will, I will say that, yes, that some of that's going to happen. But I got to say, cooking simply using really good ingredients is the most important thing in my mind. Yeah. Because yeah. all that other stuff is, it's like studying the Talmud, you know, uh, uh, yeah. uh, do unto others and the rest is commentary. The, the fact is that what we need to do is respect the gifts of the earth mm-hmm. as we are oh. given them the best we can. Mm-hmm. and fuss as little as possible. I believe they call that California cuisine. Right. But, but one of the reasons that French bistros and brasseries are so, uh, so popular is that they employ just what you're talking about, Brian. They, they, traditional, long-term, uh, ancient res- uh, uh, methodologies for making food last longer in a, yeah. a, at times and in places where there isn't enough. You know, you need to, pesto is not for the middle of the summer. Pesto yeah. is for the winter after you've put up all the extra basil, you know it's it it's it's beginning to think of the earth in its and life in its whole cycles not just oh i want the lamb chops of life i want the pin right. chops of life you know right. i want a roasted shoulder right. uh, you yeah. know i want a braised leg i want i want to use all the bits and respect them and and enjoy them
0: yeah yeah, it had been a long time since I had oxtail, and I forgot about the, the texture of it with all that collagen in there. Oh, my God. It's like coating the inside of my mouth yeah, like that's butter. That's my
1: top five I don't need to eat.
0: Oh, oh. really?
1: I, I'm not an oxtail fan.
0: Ugh. I'm you surprised know. by that, Sandra.
1: You are? Yeah. I, so, I mean, right now I really only have, now that I, you said oxtail, I have oxtail, tripe, and bugs are on that list. <laughs>
2: Uh, as in no thank you. And
1: and splitting pasta. I'm not into that either.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, in spring in Sonoma County, even, I mean, you know, we were coming out of winter. We've had some cold snaps and some cold nights and a little oxtail stew is kind of wonderful. And it utilizes, you know, the tail of an ox. If if you have one lying around. But, um, (laughs) and and, and all those bits of offal, you know, all those bits are very important and they're very nutritious and they're very good. But right now, you don't have to be a vegan to celebrate the vegetables uh, and right. the berries no, no, and, and the last of the citrus of of this blessed land. I mean, we can secede now. It's okay for me, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Eating in New York is not easy.
1: No, oh my God, I I just yeah, unless you're ordering to go all the time. Well,
2: or right also. Now. It, it, honestly, it, it, to get really good ingredients, uh, there's a lot of good cooking in, in New York City. There's, yeah. There are a lot of good restaurants, but the ingredients suck. They the they green, go through the
1: Green Market.
2: Uh, no, nah, you know they pick them based on proximity, not based on their uh, ability to be a good farmer.
1: Right. Which
2: we do here. You know right. we vet the. I you mean, know, we say, oh we love. I miss, I still miss Nancy Skull from Middleton Farms and her gorgeous strawberries and and all those. You know. Malcolm, we,
1: my little curmudgeon.
2: Yeah, we value the human, but also the talent, the gift yeah. of bringing great food from the earth, right? Whereas in New York, they got to get it fast and furious. So, sure. you know, uh, Brian, a bottle of wine, I used to say that a bottle of wine is um, the antidote to a bad meal. You know, that, it, that at least if you get a bottle of wine from a good maker, you know it's going to be good even if the rest of the meal sucks. And that's okay. a lot of what's happened in New York City. So I, what I think is that at Tracy's exit, it was a good example, Brian that the quality middle is really gonna suffer because making really good food um, is hard and costly, and unless you can charge super significant prices, which is what it's worth, with all the extra bells and whistles, if people don't value the quality of the cooking, then they're gonna, you know, Boulette's Larder at the Ferry Building is doing takeout and and family meals for four, which I think is a big thing that's not gonna go anywhere. I've always said that uh, meal kits are a service, not a business. It's not an industry. Right. It's a service from other pieces, right. grocery stores, restaurants. So we're going to be finding good food. It's just going to, it's going to take some stuff. And I think the notion of fine dining, just like tablecloths and um, captains uh, is going to be something vestigial, just like all those pieces of flatware that the Victorians love to uh, polish. Yeah.
0: yeah. We did that maybe, what is it, Sandra, eight months ago, we got rid of, maybe almost a year ago, we got rid of the linen on the tables and got rid of the seven or nine-course tasting menu at uh, at the um, Fairmont and really switch the concept. And, um, you know. Well, if
2: you, if you take a look at Single Thread, which is right. arguably the highest-end restaurant in Sonoma County. Uh,
1: yeah.
2: And I, I, the last thing I wanted when I was taken there was a three-hour meal. I just don't do it anymore, you know. Um, I loved every bit of it. Uh, the tables were polished wood, each one of made by hand, and they were exquisite. Uh, no, no two dishes or bowls or utensils were the same. It was yeah. astounding. And there was barely one and a half courses with any meat at all. There right, was, exactly. It, it, it was a celebration of things that are good to eat. So I think we'll continue to have those kind of celebratory things. And I, I, but, but again, in my experience, some of the wealthiest, most successful people really like simple food. They like roast chicken. Yeah. You know.
1: yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think Kyle right now, I was just saying this this morning, I think they must be having so much fun up at single thread because now they're making these dinner for fours. It's not their multi-course individual things. They're, you know, doing takeoffs on other chefs or, you know, just all different things. And I was like, I was like, Oh, I wish I lived closer because I would like some of those meals and they're not $500. They're, Right. you know 150 for four people or so i bet they're having a really creative time and it wouldn't surprise me if if and when we get back open that they would do some more casual food based you know, on the response they've gotten
2: yeah and sonda and this is the other thing since you asked how things might be the amount of your restaurants your yours included that are doing meals paid for by nonprofits or by the government or by the community to feed people who are in need. I think that's something that could stay. I think that if every restaurant,
1: mm-hmm.
2: a kitchen, cause you know, you pay rent 24 right. could, seven. could have ongoing street. I know some restaurants who do school lunches for various, you know, small schools in their area. If that could stay as a, as a component of life in a restaurant, I think it would be a good thing for everyone you know that you get those revenues
1: yeah we lost our funding today for family meals so there's just um i mean it'll come back in a certain way but every time the the government gets into this stuff they make a mess
2: well the government is us so don't forget we we are the government we are the problem and we are the solution um uh, but but it it is complicated we as americans we want a push button solution to everything. Right, and it doesn't work. and <clears throat> I'm glad that Sonoma uh, Family meal existed so they could come uh, into action very, very quickly. Uh, it, it, the construct is already there, so yeah. something else might happen you know as well. and I think that the people who are going to be able to start up soonest are going to be those of you who have outside seating, and I think that every community needs to make it possible for restaurants to be outside you know, um, in any way they can. Right. The fact that you have a garden is so wonderful, but I'm sorry, they should close off some streets. We need less cars. Look how nice the sky is without all that pollution. And we need to have tables far apart outside where the air is fresh and people can be a little safer. Wow, Sandra, you know, you have a lot of that
0: extra space out back, actually.
1: We do. We're thinking about uh, doing something there. We're working on a couple other ideas that need to kind of get molded thinking maybe turning Sweet D into a cafe rather than the catering event space because we don't see a lot of events uh, happening. Um, Yeah, Yeah, but I'm not sure about the downtown restaurant. Um, I don't know how to really make that reopenable sooner than later.
2: Well, the the key with that kind of density is to, be able to add some outside seats, which of course will help you in certain seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to have some very efficient retail at the front so that you can produce some stuff that can, that can where people could just walk up and get it and go not even come in, mm-hmm. you know, ha- have a window open. I'm working on a project in Yonville, actually, um, a redo of a restaurant there that um, is moving, you know, it's moving forward slowly, but the good news is that the town limits the number of seats they can have because of parking Mm, right right
1: people are relaxing some stuff right now so that's cool
2: well but you know i like that they're limited because they have courtyard interior space so they could just spread it out through the whole property and get actually a goodly number of seats Mm -hmm. it's going to be a little bit more interesting to serve but you know menus have got to get simpler Yeah, Uh, preps have got to get get simpler and 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 Brian, you're you're going to just take the leftovers and and spend the weekend making a careful oxtail ragu, uh, <laughs> at, at homemade pasta, uh-huh. what you pick up from Sandra.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, Sandra Sam Sam Couture said that he had picked up uh, to go food from Edge the other day, and I didn't I know. know I wanted to do that. They that.
1: Were doing
2: it. Yeah. yeah, for he like forty bucks.
1: Us, he ordered from us last night, so I'm curious to see how he liked it.
2: Well, and, and, and like backyard, I, bu- I ordered a, a, um, a rack of baby back ribs that they rubbed and smoked, right? I'm on day four. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. th- three ribs, three, three or four ribs a day.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, with some, yeah. some sauce in the oven and then whatever vegetable. Yeah. Or, or they, a big old tub of coleslaw that, folks, gets better after a couple of days. Let's right. say, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, just, like
0: the, th- just like the oxtail.
2: Like the oxtail, like anything made of chocolate, like all those wonderful yeah. French desserts that are naturally gluten-free that are made with almond flour or chestnut flour or garbanzo. You know, there, there, are, there are lots of foods that have been developed over millennia that have a delightful shelf life. So many cheesemakers, and I'm trying to support them too, as you know. Cheese is my life. Um, are turning from fresh, which used to pay the, the rent. To more aged varieties because we just can't move it fast enough. Right to go that way, and you know, animals give milk. Yeah. They've been bred to give milk too much, quite frankly. Right.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, and speaking of Katina, I know that she was going to be a part of the whole CIA thing that was going to celebrate Earth Day, and that got scrapped. I think Clark, you wrote an article I about that.
2: No. I, I did. I did mention. Yeah. Um, And, you know, Earth Earth Day is an inspiring moment. But this year, instead of celebrating Earth Day, it it has to be, I I, I guess, um, or it had to be April 22nd, I think it was, um, more reflective. By the way, wait a second. We have to talk about this. I don't know when this gets available or or published. Three, four weeks. Okay, well... We should be saying that today as we're talking and recording this yes. is yes. James Beard's birthday.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say Cinco de Mayo.
2: Same thing. Cinco de Mayo <laughs> is James Beard's birthday. And, that's awesome. you know, and and, and uh, there's going to be a book coming out in October uh, by John Birdsall about James. Oh, nice. Uh, that's going to be a lot more in-depth and real than other things that have been written, let me tell you. <clears throat> And and, and uh, it, 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 there's still so much to be learned from every one of his books. He his the Fireside um, Cookbook has um, advice from 1947 that you could use today. There, you know, some of those people. There are so many of, the, of these books that are just kind of tarted up silliness that are fun to read,
1: mm-hmm. but
2: uh, not for me. But uh, for, you know, they're a nice past. But they're not really uh, based in. The, the best thinking or the best practices. Right. I think maybe we'll we'll rediscover those people. And also in the spring, there is a, doc, a new documentary about Julia Child um, that, that's going to um, come out that I'm very much looking forward to, about her real impact, you know, and about how mm-hmm. she very much uh, made the transition from fun kind of... Um, um, Uh, church social, homey, or or even 40s, 50s, post-war, to something a little bit more serious and grown up in cookery that uh, has had a huge impact. So I think we're going to be revisiting a lot of that stuff.
0: I just watched a great Jacques Pepin the other day where he just took uh, Asian pears and skinned them and halved them, cored them, put them in a a little uh, uh, baking dish, sprinkled some sugar on them, put them in the oven, Once they started to caramelize, he just poured a little cream over it and then put it in the oven for a little bit longer, took it out, and crushed some pistachios and sprinkled over it. It looked like the most amazing. (laughs) And then then he did a banana Foster. I mean, a simple fruit desserts that he did was just amazing.
2: And don't forget, he was the executive chef for Howard Johnson's. For the Orange and Blue Roof. Yes, he was, and and, and and I mean, there was something very interesting uh, written, uh, Sandra, that I, I I don't know if you caught that a number of different high-profile chefs very much credit their time at chain restaurants not for the quality and not for the cookery, Me too. but for the organizational skill. Me too, yeah, right? I'm TGI Fridays. Yeah, TGI Fridays, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Olive Olive Garden, Applebee's, Cheesecake everybody. Factory. Yep, Cheesecake. you don't you don't want to eat that food because they. use... No. They use bad ingredients, and the coloration of the yeah, of the dining room is frightening. They,
1: I learned a lot from that organization. And yeah, P
2: and L. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it, it's uh, interesting. Um, one of the challenges we have as Americans um, is that it's really easy to go over the line from rugged independence mm-hmm. to just stupid self-involvement and selfishness. We're seeing that with people who won't put a mask on, yeah. but it also happens in the kitchen where you have restaurateurs and chefs thinking they invented restaurants. Right. Uh, and not doing the homework. And, you know, uh, again, I, 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 of all the cooking shows, Top, top Chef has some validity. Um, I think Tom Colicchio is an intelligent, capable guy and a good chef and a good cook, but I don't care about somebody who can win a cooking contest on TV. That, that, that doesn't translate right. to life at all. No. And I cannot tell you how many of them have failed and lost so much money and effort and time. And some of them who did it, I mean, they have gotten better about choosing people who actually know how to do something. Right. But, but the motivation is superficial. And so the result is going to be misleading. And the, in times like these, we realize how dangerous that can be. No, you're right.
0: Well, can we talk about, I know we, we started talking before we started recording about, um, about Crave and how oh, Hers- yes. how Hershey had now sold Crave back to Sonoma Brands and how they are supposedly have a vegan jerky made from fava beans and peas that I've never seen. We, we both have had um, uh, uh, John Sebastiani on the show, and I don't remember him ever mentioning anything like that.
2: Well, you know, there, there are a couple of things in play here. Uh, DNA is DNA. Hershey's is a crap company serving crap food. I'm mildly allergic oh, to chocolate. And in point of fact, the better the chocolate, the worse it is for me. And I can eat Hershey's all day long. Wow. <clears throat> you know, there's no, as Marion Cunningham used to say about bad food, there's nobody home in there, in that food. Um, they were trying to be clever. John was uh, very right about seeing a niche of quality but as happened so often, um, like w- w- when Kraft bought Cascadian Farms or one of those, no, Kashi. When Kellogg's bought Kashi,
1: mm-hmm. we all
2: kind of said, okay, well, let's see what happens. Maybe Kellogg's is going to be improving. And then they started changing the ingredients. Right. And, you know, the people who buy that kind of food read. Right. And yeah. so sales went in the, in the toilet. Kraft, you're going to love this. Kraft decided to take out all the artificial ingredients and all the artificial preservatives and and flavorings and colorings out of Kraft Dinner Mac and Cheese, but wanted to sell, they sold 50 million boxes of it before they told anyone, because they were so stupid. They thought that if they told people it was now good food again, that they wouldn't like it. That's what (laughs) corporate America is all about. You know, wait a second, let's try it, but don't tell anybody, let's see if they like it. (laughs) Really? How, you know, th- those are the people who said Olestro was a good idea. You remember Olestro, that fake fat yes, yes. that caused anal leakage? Thank you very much. <laughs> so anyway, I hate
0: anal leakage.
2: I you know, hate when that happens. <laughs> so the point is that John was right to create the company. He was right to see the niche. He was right to sell it. Uh, God bless. And it gave him, you know, more money than God. He was smart to take that money and start a fund to develop other specialty mm-hmm. foods. craft. Um, did not use their, um, their uh, economies of scale to make quality. They used their economies of scale to try to make and sell more, thinking that crap would sell once they had their hands on it. And they were wrong. And, uh, you know, they can say whatever they want, but it, it invariably happens. They also sold, got, got rid of John Scharfenberger's chocolate that right. they had bought. Right. Oh, yeah. So, you know, with what they realized, and this happens a lot, you mm-hmm. know, large companies acquire stuff and they say, no, 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 no that's not going to work the way we work. They, they maybe have bought it with a, a good intention and by the way the term vegan jerky is unfortunate because it makes me think that they killed a vegan and dried him out <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know I, mean? I can't wait to tell somebody that i don't
2: <laughs> i don't like i don't like when things are you know the the vegan lasagna really leave the guy alone how about uh, the, 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 you're the speaking logo? you're
1: speaking to the choir
2: it, uh yeah i mean um I will say this the good news is that it should be called plant-based yeah it should be called you know they call it seaweed jerky or mushroom jerky why not call it plant jerky yeah plant-based you know what i mean Uh, No, but it's it's not a new name well but i mean plant jerky sounds kind of good to me Uh, as long as as long as it's not kale (laughs) (laughs)
0: which actually makes the best plant jerky
2: (laughs) <laughs> of course it does because it, it's so chewy. I'm still chewing on something from last,
0: right? right. From last
2: yeah, no. So I think that John um, is very smart and talented. I also think he has a better palate than the people at Hershey. I think yeah. that um, I love that he kept the name Sonoma Brands even though they moved the production to Austin. I'm 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 wondering if he's going to move it back.
0: That's what know? I was wondering yeah, too. Yeah. I don't know. I
1: don't well,
2: know. I mean. and i'm going to say uh maybe maybe the last thing but one really important thing that we uh have to touch on about restaurants and food businesses and that is that real estate people have got to get smarter they've got to understand years ago uh, when i learned the the business you you figured uh six percent of sales was an acceptable yeah, rent. Uh, 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 rent. Uh, you know, there was also a time when people thought that 3 to 6% net net profit was a reasonable return. Now people want, you know, and they, the idea was you'd pay 6% rent or somewhere around there. <clears throat> and then when you get over a certain number where you get the economies of scale, more of it drops to the bottom line, more of it becomes profit. So you pay a little, you make 8%. Mm-hmm. Then when it gets over another, you pay 10%. And real estate people being in the greed business often, not always, but often, say, well, okay, so you're going to get to 10%? So 10%, I want it right now. And, and, and they've, you know, uh, they have a lot of empty stores. I think the um, legislation towards not allowing or penalizing empty storefronts is going to be important. I think that, yeah. that in some cases, landlords uh, either will be smart or have to be bludgeoned into, into submission.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, because- Yeah, we uh, need
1: to negotiate some of our stuff because there's no way you know, 50% or 25% capacity can afford
2: our rent. Well, and, and what you have to say to your landlord, um, do you want 50% of what I've been giving you or nothing? Because right. there's not going to be somebody right behind me th- th- dying I'm to paying get- paying my rent. Right, exactly. No. They're, they're not, I- I- exactly. And, and the cost of having it be empty, and, the cost, and being empty right now for a landlord could be three years, could be five years. Right. When we had the recession here, in I, I live two and a half miles past Gurnville, in an area of a of a hill that the county refers to as Gurnwood Heights. That a <laughs> <song>? <laughs> but I, Sounds very I, posh. It, very posh, yeah. The, <laughs> the plumbing's mostly indoors. Anyway, um, uh, but Gurnville is a little town near me, and when we um, went through the recession, and there were so many empty uh, um, storefronts. I had a thought, and then I went to the local folks who know how to do things here, and we made the storefronts of Greenville into a walking history museum. So the local historical society used the, all the windows of the of the empty shop, shops with big blown up black and white photographs with lots of you know uh, uh, descriptors, lots of words that you could read, and people could walk through Greenville and enjoy the what was there, and then read the storefronts about the history of this area. Um, and And, and uh, you know, I think that uh, we're going to probably need to do some of that again where yeah. we are telling the story of other times. That's
1: yeah,
0: insane. I wonder how Krista's doing.
2: You know, no. Krista is amazing. She, she's she, amazing. Uh, well, I will say this, you know, her primary profession has been mortgage brokering. <laughs> so, she's not dumb in that department, right? Yeah. But, um, at all. And I, I love her a lot for a couple of reasons. Among them, when I broke my ankle at, in LA and had to come back up, you know, I live up a hill, up a lot of stairs. And so she put me into one of her rooms at Boone Resort and Spa. Oh. And only had a few stairs. Yeah. For a week until I could get surgery. And then I went to a, a vacation rental in monterio that friends have so that I didn't have to go up my hillside for another Okay. You know, a week. And then when I was here, I had to be carried all, all the way up and down. I could not go without. Oh yeah, yeah. But anyway, she's doing takeout.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I want to say six And groceries. And she's adding groceries to it. And I love the fact that she has a small resort. So she had a storehouse of extra toilet paper. Yeah. So you could order <laughs> eggs, and bacon, and coffee, and a few rolls of TP to go with your Brot, uh, uh, the Schnitzel or, or the wonderful stuff from Boone, which, you know, we, which we, we love. Um, you know, she's got a couple of gardens herself. Yeah. So, yeah. it has some incredibly local ingredients, which is very, very important. So, well, you know, it's, um, we are in interesting times.
0: Now, Clerk have you ever been out to the casino bar and grill?
2: Uh no I have not oh Mark Malackey. yes yeah no I used to go to his place on uh, Highway Twelve outside out of Sebastopol
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was what the French Farm no it was called something else um, oh it's been called a lot of things yeah um but I, I love maybe it was anyway I, and I and I loved it but the the, the, the casino that's a little out of my you know I don't
0: range I, yeah
2: <laughs> well I you know I, I I will go to Spuds Point for crab and chowder.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: right i will go to el, el molino central for some of the best mexican inspired food yeah you know, just um, guacamole and ice. a
0: beer yeah
2: well the guacamole that they have where they have a big good guy or their sauce on top of it in a tub and then a bag of their homemade chips and then the, it's all gone by the time i get home because i'm eating my yeah. private. you know what i mean um she's it, doing it, like car hop service now Well, that you know, drive-in theaters and car hops are going to make a comeback. Seriously,
1: Um, I think so. I think that could be how we see um,
2: the fireworks July Fourth in Sonoma. I think think it's um, interesting. I think it's a good idea. I think. Look, I think that um, difficult times call for simpler times. Right. And and let's face it, simple has always been harder to do, Mm. and in some ways more satisfying, more resonant more deeply fulfilling. Right. so we'll see but we'll all be doing this together won't we Sandra? While yeah we absolutely <laughs> yeah keep trying to knock me down i keep getting up this plant a victory garden I, you know i live in the woods so you can't really i once asked a friend of mine what i should plant around my house and she said you live in the her. woods yeah no, she her. said you let you live in the woods let the woods <laughs> Mushrooms. And, actually my hillside is covered with wild sorrel oh wow well,
1: oh beautiful yeah Yum.
2: Uh, three leaf clovers oh,
1: thank you so much for joining us today just i know we could go on for hours
2: and hours yeah but i gotta make lunch and uh and, <laughs> brian it's great to see you sandra it's always yeah, a, a yeah. joy to talk with you and and to noodle around these things you know the, you know there'll be more to come and i yeah. will have you on uh my show again uh, especially when you have uh, more things to announce okay. and even if we yeah. don't get a chance to do a whole show i'll get you on steve uh, uh, Jackson's Drive, which I do v- various times during the week when there's something to talk about. I'm sending you both lots and lots of love. Oh, back at
1: you. Back at you. Thank you.
0: All right. And if you want to listen to past episodes, you can go to thebikegoeson.com. You can also go to radiomisfits.com and check out some of the past episodes there. Sandra, always good to see you. I'll look forward to seeing you next week. I'm, that yeah. that that backdrop of the girl and the fig in the background is making me want to uh, a recar or some absinthe or something mm, yeah that's a good idea just to go sit yeah. at that beautiful bar clark thank you very much appreciate it thank
2: you. yeah it's, it's my pleasure you, uh, it's it's a joy to chat i'll talk to you soon enjoy Thanks, that
0: kale and your hair looks great
2: <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting some